0: Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Wilmer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us this morning. We have been in a series called Giants. It's something we did throughout the entire summer where we are preaching a bunch of pretty much standalone messages under this one idea of the giants of faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm not going to Jump to that passage of scripture because we're closing that series out this week, but in a very different way than we have been doing it for the last eight weeks. And so we've been talking about the idea of what would it look like or sound like if one of these giants of faith that are in this cloud or this crowd of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews talks about stepped out of that space and ran a lap of this journey of life with us. What would they say? How would they encourage us? And we talked about some gigantic faith believers. And today, what I'm going to bring to you, the, uh, the title of my thoughts today is Final Faith Words. As it relates to what we've been talking about over the last several several couple months, these are going to be the final faith words. I am going to take that passage of Scripture that was our proof text for this series, and we're going to break it down and get a little deeper if that's okay with you. And so we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 39. It'll be up on the screen. You can go to your device, or if you have the Bible, you can go to your Bible. But Hebrews chapter 11, and verse number 39, the Bible says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. You now he's referring to these giants of faith that are come that they talk about in, he, in Hebrews chapter eleven, a lot of Old Testament figures and Old Testament giants. And then he goes on in verse number twelve, it says. Therefore, so whenever you just simple Bible study 101, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to understand that that word is therefore a reason. And so the reason in this passage comes right before all these people earned a good reputation. And because they earned a good reputation, it was because of their faith. And then he goes on to say, so therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Meaning these people have gone before us, they've lived their life before us, they've run this journey, this, this race and lived this journey before us since we're surrounded by them. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And in verse number three, it says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up powerful and insightful words that we are going to break down. But before we do, I need to give you some background and some context so that you understand what's going on here in this this dialogue that we're having today. And so the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was actually getting old and was settling into the world and really losing what I'd call its wartime mentality. See, the church has become over the years this place that we go to feel good this place that we go to get a little message you know greet a few people get our, get our little worship on and then walk out and face this world the original intent of this church was to have this wartime mentality and start and, and this wartime mentality would mean to understand that this is a spiritual warfare that we live in on a day-to-day basis. You know, we, we just talked about it in our devotion this morning in prayer, because we, we pray before service, and we just talked about how there is a very real devil that we don't really give him much attention, except to do our cliché, oh, the devil is a liar— or the devil is under my feet, or whatever cliche you want to say when you walk into the house of God to make you feel like you're in the right place, but we don't give him his attention that he deserves and understand that this is a spiritual battle that we are in every single day of our lives. That's a whole different message. I'm not going to get into that. But this they've lost their wartime mentality. They started to drift through life without focus. They didn't have any, village, uh, any, any diligence anymore. They didn't have any energy anymore. Their hands were growing weak. Their knees were feeble. And it was just easier to meander in the crowd and kind of walk through the crowd of life versus run the marathon. And we've seen this over and over and over through the book of Hebrews. For example, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1 through 3, the Bible says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? So, I mean, you got to remember, in, through Scripture, when something is written, you have to understand a couple of things about Scripture. Number one, it, it wasn't written to you. It was written for you, but not necessarily written to you. Because the last I checked, none of us were in the Corinthian church. None of us were Romans. None of us were found ourselves located in the desert of the Philippi. Of, of, of Philippi. That's, that's not, these, this word was specifically written to audiences, yet its eternal value is that it was written for us for today. And that was simply because Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Malachi, God said, I am God, and I do not change. And so because of all of that, that's why it has such great value for life and direction today. It's not subjective. It's not based on society. It is the absolute truth of God, and it is the absolute word of God, to which there is no error in it. That's what I believe, it's what Scripture says, and it's what I believe. So if he's writing this, he's writing this because he's seeing some things that are causing him to, to write. So in this church, the church has crept this idea of drifting and neglecting and people growing careless and becoming spiritually lazy and negligent. And just let me give you just a little bit more context so that you can really see where this is going and see its value for you today. If you look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12 and 13. So understand, text context in Scripture can also be found in Scripture. And he goes on to say, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must, verse 13, you must warn each other every day while it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Let me tell you, that passage right there has checked my spirit over the last several, several weeks, to several months. Because there's a part of it that I'm failing to reach up to. There's a part of it that I'm missing out on. And it's not in verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. I believe my heart is, not, is good and, and pure in, in, in what it can be as a sinful person. I believe that, that it is turned towards God, and I'm absolutely believing, and I'm not living away from God. But verse 13, I feel like, is where I personally have missed the mark a, few, a time or two. It says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The church had become complacent against sin. They just wouldn't call things out that are what they are. You wouldn't hear things from the pulpit like, hey, if you're living with someone who's not your wife or your husband, you're actually in sin. Sin separates us from God. Therefore, if I'm living with someone who's not my spouse, then I'm I'm separating myself from God. And and no judgment. I'm not bringing any judgment or condemnation. I'm just bringing the word. See, these are the types of things you don't hear in churches today because it's not popular. People don't like to attend those types of churches. And so this is what happened in in this church in Hebrews. You know, based on what he's writing, you can tell that he's witnessing believers turning away from God. And he can see people hardening their hearts towards God because they're not being told every day and being warned on a daily basis. Hey, the devil's coming after you. Hey, that might not be the best way to think. And there's ways of doing that that doesn't include judgment. That it comes from a place of love and a place of grace and a place of mercy. Last passage of scripture I'll share with you as far as context is concerned is found in Hebrews chapter 5. Verse number 12, the Bible says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Think about that thought. Think about that thought for a moment. You have been believers now for so long that you ought to be teaching others. You know, oftentimes we look at that idea of teaching others and say, oh, that's not really for me. But in some contexts, it's for everyone. Yeah, there's a gift of teaching. Yeah, there's a gift that resides, that God gives through his Holy Spirit that is a teaching gift. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we all shouldn't in some way, shape, or form be sharing what God's done in our hearts and our lives. So they made this profession of faith and then went into coasting mode. Anybody ever experienced that before? I've kind of kind of done that before where I'm just kind of coasting along. And so, here's what I believe God needs. God needs every saint, every believer to be moving forward to new levels of faith, new levels of strength, new levels of wisdom, new levels of holiness, courage and joy in their lives. That's what I believe God wants. God desires, God needs is for us to be constantly growing into new levels of these things. You start in one place. You know, I don't, my sin struggle today isn't the same as it once was. I don't deal with some of the same insecurities and challenges that I dealt with 20, 20 plus years ago when I first gave my life to Christ. But I have my own different sin, sin struggles today than I had back then. It's a journey that we're on, and we're expected to grow in faith. We're expected to grow in strength. We're expected to grow in wisdom and grow in holiness and grow in courage. So that leads us back to the text that I read in the beginning, Hebrews chapter 11. And to save us a few moments, I won't read it again. But Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 through verse, chapter 12, verse 3. And so we're going to break this down a little bit in a deeper way. Hopefully bring it to life a little bit more. And in the very very first part of that, it talks about how they earned a good reputation, talking about all these giants of faith that Hebrews 11 was talking about. And he goes on to say, what caused them to earn this good reputation? Scripture is very important to break down and understand. And so the very first thing when you came in, along with that connection card, you received a little sheet of paper. To fill in the blank helps keep us on track, keep me on track, keep you guys engaged. If you wanna take notes, feel free to take notes. They'll be up on the screen for you. But number one thing I want you to get out of this passage of scripture as we break it down a little bit is that a good reputation, it comes from faith. A good reputation comes from faith. Look at verse 39, the first half. All these people earned, notice it said earned, a good reputation. Because of their faith. You know, the Greek defines this word faith as a trust, as a belief, or as a confidence. But here's a catch. This is why it's so important to study Scripture in its original language, because when we hear the word faith, we think, oh, that means I believe. But there's a catch to it, because this definition gets a little bit deeper than just a trust and a belief and a confidence. It actually you have to realize that this faith, it doesn't come from you. You don't have the ability to produce the faith you need to run this race or even gain a good reputation. You don't have that ability within you. It has to come from somewhere else. And in fact, this, this faith is actually defined as a gift from God. Never something that can be produced by man. That's what this faith is. So when he says that they earned a good reputation because of their faith, they earned this good reputation because it was a gift from God that they could not produce themselves. So basically, this is God's divine persuasion. God is persuading you to turn your eyes towards him. God birthed this faith... In a, in a person, but that person has to have a couple of characteristics in order for God to birth that faith. They have to, one, be submitted to God, and two, be surrendered to God. Yes, they're different things. I submit myself to God as being Lord, as being King, as being Savior, as being all of these things, but I'm surrendered to Him, meaning I am going to follow after His will, not mine. So when I pray the way that I pray before every single Sunday morning, like John the Baptist prayed that I would decrease so that he might increase, that is not just a prayer for me on a Sunday morning, that's a prayer for my life every day. Because every day I wanna follow in the will of God. Every day I wanna be surrendered. Every day I wanna be submitted. Because that's the only way that you can develop a good reputation. And a good reputation is actually important. If you've been around here for any length of time, there's a, few, there's a few people here who have been here since the very beginning. Several of you that have been here for three and four years. We went through some things at this church. We went through some things that had it not been, for God's grace, the reputation that I have as a pastor and the church has in the community could have easily suffered. Very easily. Because there were some folks that would say some things that really just were not True. But they would say them because, you know, hurting people like to hurt people. And so they would say things that were not true. But my response most of the time, publicly, there's a whole different private response that I had to work my way through if I'm being honest. My public response was, I really hope that's not the case. When they would come against me personally and attack me personally, I really hope that's not true. And I've had some people who had left because of certain things that they say they saw or I did and others that would stand and say, you know what? I I hear you. I just don't see that. That's the whole point of the good reputation. That's the whole point of being submitted and surrendered to Christ is that you have this reputation that he gives you that takes you into places. Yes, people will hate you for his namesake, but you'll also find favor sometimes among the very people who hate you Because of him, and because of that good reputation, and because of that submitted and surrendered life. Nothing about popularity. Nothing about any of those things. As a matter of fact, the people that that God chose were not the most popular people. They were not the qualified ones. They weren't. They were average people, and that's that's part of why the Jews missed it. Because God chose average, what seemingly was average, because does nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Can nobody good come from Nazareth? Yet Jesus came from Nazareth. And he chose tax collectors who were considered crooks and thieves, and he chose uneducated, and he chose all kinds of people that, let's be honest, you and I would line them up in a line. We wouldn't choose them. We make our choices based on popularity, So it's this, this, this good reputation that comes, that comes from faith. Number two, well, I got to move. Holy cow. So number two, in verse one of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Strip off the weight. I'm going to stop right there in that part. Just strip off the weight. There's so much in this portion of the scripture, I can only hope to do it justice in the next couple of minutes. And when the Bible says to strip off the weight, it's referring to laying something aside. It's referring to renouncing it, even stowing it away. I'm going to put this away. That's what it means when it says strip off the weight. It means I'm going to renounce it. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to put it off to the side. It insinuates that you're going somewhere, which is why you have to put this off to the side because it's going to hinder you from going where you're supposed to go. It makes the assumption that you're actually moving forward. It's important in life to always be moving forward. Oftentimes we think, oh, because we failed, now we've got to take take two steps back. I've learned this unbelievable process through life called failing forward. Yes, I fail. I fall down. I make sure that I fall down forward because that means when I get back up, I'm at least a step further than I just was. Does that make any sense? Because sometimes we fall backwards, and we fall down, and we get back up. And by the time we've gotten up, we've stumbled back four, five, six steps. And we think, oh, man, I'm such a failure. Look how far I've fallen. When I fall, I intentionally try to fall forward so that when I get back up, I'm at least a step further than I just was. Because the whole point of failing is to get back up. The whole point of falling is to get back up. So this passage, it insinuates something very important, that we're moving forward. It says, strip off every weight that slows us down, meaning you have to be moving to be slowed down. Notice what it says. It says, strip out every weight that slows you down. That means they're making the assumption that you are moving. Some of us aren't even moving any longer. Some aren't even in the race any longer. You can't shout hallelujah to a passage of scripture if you aren't actually even engaged in the race. It's time to get in the race. What do you need to lay aside? What are these weights? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked me. This weight is very easily defined as a burden, a bulky mass, mass, an encumbrance. I don't even know what encumbrance is. But it was in the definition, so I said, let me look up encumbrance so I understand what that means. And the word encumbrance literally means an obstruction or an obstacle, an impediment, a constraint. Let me keep going. It means a handicap or an inconvenience, even a nuisance. Man, I guarantee we all have encumbrances in our lives. Things that we can say, oh yeah, that's a nuisance, that's an inconvenience, that's a handicap, that's an obstacle, an impediment, a constraint, an obstruction, or even just something that just gets on my nerves so what is your weight some of y'all might have to answer the question who is your weight so to illustrate this really quickly I'm gonna call on my son where is my man where he at come on get up here hustle young man let's go you run all day on the basketball court you walk up here all right so to illustrate this he ain't taller than me, although he's looking like it. He ain't there yet. He ain't there yet. And even if he is taller, I still put him down. It's them, them crazy looking shoes this dude got on. I don't even want to go there because I don't want to waste my time preaching, talking about his shoes. So here I have a backpack. It's empty. It ain't got nothing in it. Put that on your, strap that on your back, young man. Strap that on your back. Now I need you to do me a favor. All right? You didn't know you were coming to church and get some exercise. I need you to run. Don't go all the way up. I ain't got time for that. Run halfway up and run back. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Move, 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 move. All the way up. Come on, back, back, quick, quick, quick. That was pretty quick, right? Let's see if we can give him some encumbrance here. Got about five pounds. Let's put five pounds in there. Go, go, go. Come on, come on back. That was still pretty easy. Let's go. No, 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 not even five. Let's go another 15. Let's get 15 pounds of encumbrance in there. Hold on. Let me zip that up a little bit so the weights don't go flying, landing on people's toes. Go. Come on. Go. Come on. Come on. Quicker, 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 quicker. That's actually not bad, man. I'm kind of impressed. There's a reason why you play basketball. Now, let's see what happens when I put 40 in there. Can we put 40 in there? I don't know. Let me look real quick. Hold on. go 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 come on come on he's a little slower he's a little slower that's a you know what but he still ain't slow enough here hold on to that one in your left hand hold on to that one in your right hand all right go come on go 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 come on go come on come on come on, come on. all the way back come on come on now just stand there for a second you look like you're a little out of gas you got breath a little bit? Yeah. That's why I have young folk do that, because I don't even if I'd know it, I'd have made it to the 40. But he's got all this weight. When he had an empty backpack, and he made the run with an empty backpack, it was quick. Then we throw about five pounds in there, and it was like it was nothing. It was still quick. Then threw another 15 in there, and he was still pretty quick. He got up, and he got back. Threw that 40 in there. He slowed down significantly. Then when I put another 40 in his, what does that weight? That's 10, and that's 5, so 15. Another 30, threw another 30 in his arms. He slowed down significantly. See, this is what we do. We have this backpack called life, and we stand here trying to hold it, and with his 5 pounds in it, it's no big deal. And then we pick up a little bit of other weight, some useless person that we shouldn't be talking to, And when I say useless, I don't mean that in God's eyes. I mean that in the benefit to our lives, where they leading, where they're leading us, and we add about 15 more pounds of weight, and it's like, you know what? I'm I still I'm still doing this. You're a little bit slower, but it's not so noticeable. I can handle this. And then you pick up some weight. A loved one passes away, or a bill isn't unpaid, or you lose a job, and you throw this 40 pound weight in the bag, and now you're noticeably slower, and now you're having a hard time moving. And yet, for some reason, we still think, I can carry all of this because I'm strong, right? I'm tough. I got this. So we grab two more weights and we put them in our hands and say, okay, I'm good. And now I can barely walk, much less run. And scripture tells us we're to run the race. It don't say walk the race. It says run the race. You can't run with that kind of weight. Go, go, go. Go. Look, so now he's been carrying that weight. He's been standing there holding it. And dude can't even run. He's just taking long five foot 11 steps. He's not even running any longer. He just, he says, let me fool you because our steps are so long. You can put that stuff down, bro. Give my son a hand as he endures being a pastor's kid. Thanks, kiddo. Run, go, go. (laughs) But that's what we do. We keep piling weight upon weight upon weight. But in order to run this race of life, the Bible tells us that we should strip off every weight. Let that weight go. So what is your weight that you got to let go of? What is your addiction? What is your stress? What is your anxiety? What is that relationship? Who do you need to let go of? We keep picking it up and picking it up and then trying to run this race and all it does is slow us down. And you know what eventually, if I kept running him, you know what he would have done eventually? He would have stood there and looked at me and like, nah. And even if I would have told him, okay, you run or when you get home you get no food, you know what he would have said? All right. Even for no food. From a teenage kid, you know, That's serious. But that's what we do because we pile all this weight on us. That it gets us to the point where it's just like, whatever. And then we're out of the race. Number three in your notes. So we have to understand that faith produces a good reputation. We're called to strip off every weight. Especially sin. Because it easily trips us up sin easily trips us up people especially the sin that so easily trips us up according to that third half of verse number one what is your sin because your sin is oftentimes your weight but what is your sin notice i didn't ask you if you had sin i asked you what is your sin because if we think that you're going through life and all you're good and you don't have any sin then you're just fooling yourself and you're already carrying a weight you can't carry sin is very simply this. It's missing the mark. How have you missed the mark? Let me tell you, I confessed my sin to you earlier today when I said I missed the mark and rushed into this growth track thing. Yes, that was sin on my half because I missed the mark of what God, anything that God's calling me to, if I missed that mark, then yes, I've sinned. Now, the consequences of that sin aren't as dire. Y'all, nobody stood up here to shoot me. Nobody locked me up because I missed that mark. Maybe somebody in here thought, man, that's just seems unorganized. And you'd be rightfully so to think that way. But that's, the, that's, that's basically the bulk of my consequence, where some of the sin consequence is far, far worse. Some people find themselves locked up in jail because of their sins. Some people find themselves losing jobs because of their sins, losing relationships because of their sin, separating themselves from God because of their sin. Here's what happens. See, here's what happens. If you missed it, then you sin, period. No other ifs, ands, or buts, no other ways. But today it's so different. Society suggests that sin and calling out sin is outdated. Matter of fact, society says that embracing every ideology as an individual truth is the only way to coexist together. We got to embrace every single thought and ideology out there. An old Lecrae hip-hop song said, what if my truth says that your truth is a lie? Is it still true? This is where we've come. We've come to this place that everything is embraced and everything is okay. And that's why, honestly, if I can just be very real for a moment, that's why our nation and even our world across across every pond is going to hell. Because we're embracing everything as if it's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. That's the only truth that's worthy of being embraced. It's the only truth that's worthy of being preached. But here's what happens. When Scripture says it trips us up, it literally means that it is well planted and it surrounds us. See, you think the devil doesn't have a plan? You think he's not scheming? You think he's not smart? This idea of missing the mark and tripping us up literally means that we've missed it, but then it encircles us and becomes this hindrance that's surrounding us. The devil places it there. He knows what your buttons are. He knows where your sin is. He knows where your struggle is. You think he's going to push a button other than one to one that gets you struggling? He knows what buttons he can and cannot push with me. He don't push the buttons he knows not going to get me. He pushes the ones he knows are going to trip me up. Matter of fact, this idea in some Greek context, this tripped up idea, was even used in battle. Meaning to be strategically and skillfully surrounded by the enemy. That's what happens with sin. Number four, the last one I'll share with you. Is you have to run God's race. Notice what it says in verse one, the last half of verse one. All of this that I'm sharing with you right now, all of this, is just in verse one. Look at the last half, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Who set before us? Okay, let me try that again, because about a third of you are halfway awake. Let me try that again. Who set this race before us? Thank you. This part is easy. God's race. Now, to say it and preach it is easy, but to live it is different. Because there is a race that you're running that may very well not be God's race. It may very well be your race. I remember when I entered into a pastoral position in a place in a location where everybody was talking about where they're going to college. And they were doing this based on where mom went to school or where dad went to school. Or, well, this is the kind of school I think would be kind of cool for me to go to. They were basing a major life decision on... Eh, this is what I want to do. And so I asked the question. Have you prayed? And they look at me like I got 12 heads on my shoulder. What do you mean, pray about college? I'm like, bro, I pray. I pray about everything. Of course, college. It's what caused my daughter to end up eight, eight hours away. So I let her pray. And that's where she ended up thank you, Jesus. I kind of mean that sarcastically. Not really. It's, 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 it, this is life. Run God's race. Stop running your race. Run God's race. You know, some folks think they got let go and laid off, and I just saw this. I'm not even, can't even take credit for it, but it was powerful. It was one of those Steve Harvey side moments, right? Steve Harvey, I know, loves Jesus, but he cusses too much. I know we love Jesus, but he cusses too much. I'm praying God gets a hold of his lips the way he has his heart. Hopefully it works out. But he has some profound things to say. And he's having this little side conversation. A guy asked him, how do you stay motivated when you're out there putting yourself out there for a job and you find yourself either being told you're not qualified enough or you're too qualified? And Steve asked him, he said, what, what, what are you doing? What do you mean Motivated. He was confused by the question. He said, so he asked him a question. What are you gifted to do? He said, I'm gifted in the kitchen. He says, and what do you do? I'm a sales rep. He's like, what are you selling? Beverages. So you're selling beverages, but you're gifted in the kitchen. And you're laid off, and you're looking for another sales rep job. He said, maybe, maybe God laid you off in the sales rep to get you to actually do what he called you to do and get you gifted in the kitchen. But you can't do both. So the whole thought of that whole idea is you got to run God's race, not your own. You have to run God's race because otherwise you're looking for a job in the same industry that you got got let go from. Why not just see God? How did you gift me? Because I've said it a million times, and our growth track is really going to be good for this as well. God gifts you for a purpose, and usually your purpose is connected to your gifting. The gift that you have will make room for you. It will. And my man back here shouting hallelujah, if you understood where he come from, and I don't mean his life as a gangbanger and in the prison, but I mean his life of sin where he has now returned from and returned to to preach the gospel, he is going into prisons all over this state and even in other states that he shouldn't even be allowed to be in. Because his felony conviction and his time in prison suggest that he shouldn't even be allowed to be in those prisons in his capacity. But what do they do? They fling the doors open and say, brother Nate, come on and preach. Why? Because he's got a gift to reach a person that is in desperate need of Jesus and his gift is making room for him. But it takes a process. Your gift ain't gonna make room for you if you're not submitted and surrendered. Your gift's not gonna make room for you if you don't have a good reputation and you're not building it on faith. Your gift isn't gonna make room for you if you're running someone else's race. Matter of fact, I'm gonna call on the Apostle Paul. The only time I'm moving and diverting from this passage of Scripture is the call on the Apostle Paul. Because he said in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. It suggests God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for you, and it's directly connected to not looking like this world and being having your mindset the way you think transformed. You'll never be able to see God's perfect will if you keep thinking the same way you used to think. So as you know, I like to I, I preach the gospel, I preach its truth there, but I like to break it practical. How can I make this a part of my life? I've got two points that I want to make it practical. And they come both from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do what? We run this race. We live this life. We run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Or if you like a different version, the author and perfecter of our faith, so the author and the finisher. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Verse 3, think think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Two thoughts. Very first one, keep your eyes on him. Look at what it says in verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word for keeping our eyes on means to look away from everything else. It's not just about... What you're looking at, but it's what you're not looking at. It's looking away in such a way that nothing else is even in our focus. I'm going to illustrate this real quick. If you would, do me a favor and black out the room. It's pretty dark in here. And if we're in a dark space and we're in a dark place like this, and we, the first instinct is to grab a flashlight. Steve, I'm sorry. You're just hitting in the way of the flashlight. Now, when I turn the flashlight off, and it, we could get a little bit darker in here, but there's some light we just can't get rid of, and that's all right. But if I, put, if, I, if I look out here, all I can see is some bodies. Can't see faces. I can't see anything else. I see some bodies. When I turn the flashlight on, I see faces. And I don't even have to shine it at you like that. I just hold it like this, and I can see faces. Don't have to shine it at you, but I see all your pretty faces, right? This is the kind of focus we have in our life. We're walking in a dark room with a flashlight, and it allows us to see everything that's around us. And we get distracted by what we see, but when God says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, his thought process is a little more like this. In a dark room, all I can see is what this laser is pointing at, I still can't see faces. If I have that wide view flashlight, I see faces. I see everything to my left and to my right. But the idea of keeping my eyes on Jesus, and I'm trying to keep this out of your eyes, Steve, because this will mess with you. It's a pretty powerful laser. But the idea of keeping my eyes on Jesus means that Jesus is right there. And if you all want to look and see where he is, he's on that black curtain back there, the little green light. You see it? Making it dance. If you all a cat, I'll put it on the floor. You can chase it around a little bit. I tried to do that to our worship leader earlier. She wasn't having it. But this is the way I focus on Jesus. that I can't see your faces. Now, I know you're there, but I can't see your face. See, I know you're there, but I'm not distracted by you. Because all I'm doing is trying to make sure I don't put this laser in Steve's face. Because I'm fo- fo- so focused on Jesus that I'm not distracted by you. You can turn my lights back on. That's the idea of being keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know there's other stuff around. You're not foolish. You're not stupid. But you're not distracted by what's around you. You're focused on Jesus. Why are you focused on Jesus? Because he is the original. He is the originator. I'll take it to the streets. He's the original OG, if you, want, if you will. He is the original. He started it all. And he will finish it all. Everything in between is just consequence. Everything in between is just life. But he's gonna—he started it, and he will finish it. Number two, the last thing I want you to think of th- having this, and my worship team come and get set. We're gonna race through this last thought. As y'all race up, so I yell and run like I do to my son. Run, run, run. So the last way, so first we have to keep our eyes on him. And number two is real simple, really simple. One word, simple one, powerful one, but it's very simple one. It's called think. Think. Look at verse three. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up if you think about what Jesus has done, if you think about the life that he lived, you think about him and you rest your mind on him. You're keeping your eyes on him. Now we're resting our mind on him. And if we have our eyes and our mind on him, guess what we won't do? We won't give up. You have never failed until you've quit. I don't care how many times you fall down in life. I don't care how many times you fall You fall flat on your face and you're embarrassed by your fall. You don't fail until you've quit. But by keeping our eyes on Jesus and thinking of all that he endured for you and for me, then we won't become weary and we won't give up. From beginning to end, reflection, consider, contemplate. Thinking will keep us from becoming weary and giving up. You know, I had this thought while I was preaching, and this is, while well, I was um, writing this message, and it hit me, and I didn't know if it fit, so I just wrote it in my notes, and it seemingly does fit. You no, know, but a lot of people say, well, they just need to hit rock bottom. If they just hit rock bottom, something's going to change. Has anybody ever thought that or said that, even about your child or whatever? If they hit rock bottom, things will change. Let me me tell you something. It isn't rock bottom that causes someone to evaluate where they are and make changes. Lord knows, because I've hit rock bottom many times in my life. And guess what I found? There's a little bit deeper rock bottom out there. Because just when you think you hit it so low, then you hit it again and say, wow, I didn't think I could hit it this bad again. So it isn't rock bottom that causes someone to evaluate where they are and make changes. It's the bottom where God still meets them. It's the bottom that you hit and God still meets you. It's his kindness that meets us in the midst of being overwhelmingly stupid. It's his kindness in the midst of that that leads us to humility. And this humility leads us to repentance. See, the Bible says that the kindness leads us to repentance, right? I don't repent because you're kind to me. I repent because God's kindness has met me where I am. And because I'm overwhelmed with the fact that his kindness and his grace has met me in my worst possible moment, now I'm led to to repent. Now I'm ready and I'm led to make a decision to make a change in who I've become. It's not the rock bottom that does it. It's the love of God that meets us at the bottom that does it. We think we fall so far That God can't touch us, that God can't get us, that God, let me tell you something. There is not a hole too deep that God can't reach down and get you out of. It is not a hole too deep that he can't rescue you from. And everybody around saying, hallelujah, yes, and thank you, Lord, been rescued from some pretty messed up and deep holes. That's why they say it.